Amen. Y'all may be seated. Well, good morning uh, once again. I am Pastor Nathan. I'm our uh, student pastor here at First Baptist Watauga. Uh, pastor Dennis, our senior pastor, is uh, not here this week. He's actually uh, on vacation. He's up in uh, Yellowstone. So hopefully he's uh, enjoying himself. He's, he's very likely sitting in some cool weather amidst some mountains and fishing. And so we can all be uh, jealous of him and, and be praying for him to, uh, to be rejuvenated. And so until then, uh, I'd say you're stuck with me, except that um, I, I discovered an interesting piece of information that I just have to share with you this morning. Um, last night, we had our parent night. It was the first uh, time we've ever done something like that, where Victoria and I, our children's minister, uh, we, we came in here, we invited parents, we wanted to communicate uh, the vision of the children and student ministry directly to y'all. We unveiled our resource wall that Jessica mentioned earlier. And... Um, what we decided to do, despite our our best judgment, was to provide a little box right out there. And it's gone this morning, so you can't use it anymore. But it was a box that was allowing for any uh, questions or feedback. I told them, I told people in this room that they could put feedback in that box of any kind, positive or negative. They didn't have to sign their name. And this morning, again, despite my best judgment, I checked the box. And there was only one card in there, and, and I, I brought it up here with, uh, with me because I thought y'all needed to hear it. It says, Nathan's the best. <laughs> so I say you're stuck with me, but for, for at least one of you out there, this is a treat. So... Uh, but no, I, I want to start today uh, a little differently. Normally when I get to preach, I, uh, I start by sharing some kind of story. Um, and today I don't want to do that. Today I want to start a little differently. I want to introduce a concept and a question to you. Okay, that really the themes of the passage that we find today. And so the, the, the question really is, is what I believe culture struggles the most with right now. I mean, this is, if you really pay attention and look around, this is what culture seems to struggle with. It's the question of who am I? All right, it's actually, uh, you could look at it a few different ways. Sociologically, that's kind of a, a, like a youth age, like youth, 7th through 12th graders, right? Like my department, that's, that's often the question they've got to deal with. But really, the, the whole world seems stuck there with this question of who am I? And so we're obsessed with this question of identity. In college, I worked as a, a part of a team on an FCA ministry. If you don't know what that is, it's Fellowship of Christian Athletes, okay? It's, it's if you're a bunch of uh, athletes, you, you get together and have like a Christian club, and there's a sermon and, and worship. And so I, I, I worked uh, with them. It, we'd always have to preface that. It was always funny to me. We'd say, FCA, it's for athletes. Non-athletes welcome also. You know, like, like... Well, of course, we're not going to kick anyone out. We're Christians, right? Um, but oftentimes, we'd approach things from that. And, and the primary task of, of, of really, or at least a primary task of any FCA ministry out there is really to help uh, get in touch with athletes and, and help teach them that their identity can't be found in their sport, okay? We'd have volleyball players and baseball players and football players, and I was a cross-country runner. And and there's a, there's a problem with finding your identity there, right? And there, there's kind of two ways of looking at it. There's the spiritual way. We as Christians know that our identity is found in Christ, right? Nowhere else. And thereby, we can't put it in our sport. Very practically, though, if I found my identity, if, if who I am is simply a runner, right? A cross-country runner. Then if I break my leg and the doctor says, you'll never run again, Nathan, I've got an identity crisis, right? Like, my whole world's falling apart now. Instead of just, you know, uh, some uh, lamenting of, of a favorite hobby that, that's lost, it's my whole identity at stake. Nowadays, it seems like the most popular thing to find your identity in 
pertains to either your sexuality or your gender or both. And, and so it, and, you know, coexisting with all of this, mind you, is this notion that who am I and whatever the answer to that question is, it's probably in here somewhere, right? My feelings will tell me that if I really search, if I figure it out. And after we're done changing whatever it is about our body, we think we need to change in order to feel the way that we truly are. I think most times you'll find that there's no peace there either because it's still shallow ground. It's not a place to find your identity. And so I bring all of this up because today's passage has some strong hints of identity and the importance of remembering that identity, the importance of remembering who we are. So you can turn with me if you have your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2 today, verses 12 through 14. And we've been working through this series in 1 John titled The Lord of Light and Love. You'd see our, our banners over here that Matthew designed for us. And, and so we want to remember throughout this series the thesis that Dennis brought up a few weeks ago, right? The thesis is really in, in 1 John 5. John writes this letter to believers, right? To churches, to Christian churches, uh, so that they may know that they have eternal life, right? John's the same writer of the Gospel of John. It's one of the four Gospels we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? Same writer. And, and he says there that I'm writing to you that you might know about Jesus, that you might have life in his name, that you might believe, right? And here in First John, he wants us to know, hey, if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life, you can be assured of that. And so last week, in fact, uh, Dennis talked about two ways to test your salvation. It's always a, a scary kind of uh, passage, but two ways to test your salvation. He talked about, you know, obeying the Lord's commands and loving one another. And if we, if we don't do those things, right, it's likely a symptom that we're not really saved. We're living a lie in some way or we've been faking it, right? But this week, John turns to an interesting few verses, right? These are weird because they're, if you look in, in your Bible, some of you will see this, some of you won't, depending on your translation, but you might see them in stanzas, okay, like, like poetry. It's kind of semi-poetic in nature, um, and really, these three verses, I believe, act as a turning point. This is a pivot for John. He's writing uh, his second chapter here, and he's going to kind of pivot here and prepare us. He's going to talk about some stuff he's already talked about, and he's going to pivot towards uh, pr preparing us for the next two weeks, which are a, a very different tone for the next two weeks of, in the sermon. So be looking for that. But uh, if you would, read with me First um, John chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. It says this, I'm writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you have come to know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. And I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. All right, and so you can see what I mean there by semi-poetic in nature, because it's repetitive, right? And we see those, those parallels. And as we walk back through this passage, let me point out a few things to you textually that I think will help us, uh, because I, I don't want any of you to be uh, misled on some things right off the bat. So let me, let me explain. First, let's talk about those, those addresses. He, di he directly addresses little children, fathers, and young men, okay? On the surface we might be tempted to think that John is completely leaving out half the church here, right? He's leaving out all of the women. Uh, but, but women, I promise there's something in this passage for you as well. Because 
that's not really how the original readers would have understood this. Remember that when we're looking at, at Scripture, oftentimes, especially in these letters, right, John would have written this letter to a church. They would have taken the letter, and they would have come in, into the room with everybody and read it, right? Mixed crowd, diverse crowd, right? It, it'd be like if... Um, if Kevin Skinner sent us a letter, we might be like, uh, Kevin Skinner's a, a pastor who used to be here, and he, and he works down in Stockdown now, and he sent us a letter, and we're like, we're going to read this letter. And we'd show up here, and we'd just read it on a Sunday morning, right? And so you'd all hear it, okay? The difference is that whatever Kevin writes is not Scripture, all right? Unless he's quoting Scripture. Uh, amen. <laughs> Matthew would have, would have ridiculed me afterwards had I not specified. Uh, so, so, so keep that in mind, all right, that these categories aren't as specific as we, as we think they are. We also need the note to note the term little children, all right? Um, again, to, to keep my illustration up here, it's not like we would say, now be sure to communicate this to your Awana ministry and communicate this stuff to your men's ministry. It's, again, that's not what's going on. Little children is more than likely a reference to the whole church, right? He uses it constantly throughout his letter, uh, referring to everyone. It's a kind of endearing term. It's kind of like when we walk around to each other and we say, hey, brother, how's it going? Hey, brother, I'm doing great, right? We don't necessarily mean that, right? Uh, Jimmy could say that to Tommy Young. They're not necessarily related, but they'll say it, right? We, we use that term endearingly. And so the question then is, who is he addressing? That's the stuff we've got to kind of work through. Who's he addressing? First, right, because of that phrase, little children, I think he's addressing all of them. And certainly if we look at the context of what he tells us, all of these things are applicable to every Christian. Anyone who believes these things uh, belong to that Christian's identity. But I also think he's kind of addressing two large age groups here. And so what I think he's doing is saying, you know, listen up, everyone, listen up. Those who are older, those who are younger, come in and listen right? I've got things to say to all of you here. And so he's kind of making a really only a secondary uh, way and a subtle way referring to any kind of age difference. So keep that in mind as we read that all of these are applicable to every believer, okay? Now, what is John trying to do here? In, in these three verses, I talked about it being a pivot point in, in the chapter, but really what I think he's trying to do is remind them of who they are. He's reminding these believers about their identity as believers and certain things that are, that are just part of them because of that, because of their, their identity as being believers. And so, like I said, if we look at this in a secondary way, it, you might look at something in these age groups as saying, you know, the youngest and newest members to the faith, right, little children in the faith, those who are just starting out, they're likely going to be the ones most focused on the fact that they're forgiven. It says, little children, you are forgiven. It's always the newest, youngest believer who's, who's kind of freshly dealt with the weight of their sin and the larger weight of forgiveness of that, right? That's it's often most apparent to a younger believer because that's the, the first thing that happens is that we're forgiven. And you might look at the older members of the faith and perhaps they need reminding, reminding that they've been walking with God, the one who is from the beginning. You've been learning more about this God who you follow, who you believe. And if you're walking faithfully with him, you're going to grow in that, right? And so we, we might see that more in an older believer. An older believer might need that encouragement to, to remember the same God who saved me 30, 40, however many years ago is the same God who saves me today, the same God who's with us today. Certainly, as we look at culture and the things changing all around us, we could get stressed about that until we remember that we worship the same God today as we did 2,000 years ago. It's the same God, so he's going to care for us. And yet these, these in-between people, these young members of the faith, this is kind of the youth and young adult age group that, that you might see here. 
they're perhaps still very focused on, on just fighting the fight, on doing what's right, on trying to conquer evil, right? They're, it's a really big task for a youth or a young adult to learn that God's word has to remain in you, right? You have to stay in the word, and, and they're still developing those habits. So we might look at all of those, but they're all secondary, okay? Because again, he's talking to everybody. And these are all categories I think we can remember. But ultimately, then John is reminding believers of who they are. And so the overarching theme today, if you catch nothing else, is that to walk in the light, we must remember who we are. To walk in the light, we must remember who we are. And we are who we are because of Christ. Christ decided definitively our identity 2,000 years ago on a cross when he died for us. You ever wonder how much you're worth? Christ decided that right there. And, and so we are who we are because of Christ. Christ di- dictates that. Um, I won't go on forever about our identity, but our identity is in Christ. Now let's look at these three categories of things we see here, okay? Because we see immediately a theme of forgiveness. Little children, you have been forgiven, right? Uh, those who walk in the light are forgiven, of all sin. We know that. That's the first thing that happens. That's the easy one, right? That the first thing that happens when we're saved is we understand that we are forgiven of our sins. There's many of them, but because Christ died on the cross and rose again for us, we can have forgiveness of sins. And John has already mentioned this, right? He talks earlier in the first part of the chapter. He's, he's told us, you know, if any of us sin, we know that we have forgiveness in him. We know that Christ forgives us, that Christ loves us, Right? And so we see this as, as, again, he's pivoting. John's pivoting and reminding us of this. Remember always that those who walk in the light are forgiven of all sin. Next, we see that walking in the light leads to this knowledge of God. Right, So those who walk in the light learn to know God better. We learn to know God better. That, that's how faith is. Faith is not this stagnant thing. Don't ever believe that. That faith is this stagnant, you know, uh, I've like punched my ticket to heaven and I'm just going to, you know, keep it securely in my pocket and, and not lose it. You know, God has saved me and uh, that's all I really have to worry about from now. I, I had a friend in middle school who kind of thought that way, that it was just an insurance policy. That's not the way faith works. Faith is dynamic. It moves. When we begin a childlike faith relationship with the Lord of all, it begins to grow, right? To tell you a story uh, that, that'll help. Once when I was a kid, uh, and in fact, several times as a, as a child, uh, my parents would, would take us like on family outings to Target. Anyone ever do that? Family outings to Target? I've like walked around in Target before and seen some of y'all like in your family units at Target together. And so I'm reminded of this. As a child, we did that. And in fact, we took our Nana with us. And uh, oftentimes mom and Nana would like go off somewhere, the mysterious land of Target, to aisles that we as kids didn't care about. All right. I don't know where they are. They're probably in the Magnolia section. Doesn't matter. We don't care about that section as children. And I would ask the question to dad, like I would every time I'm in Target, He's right over there. He'll verify this. Can we go to either the toy aisle or the game aisle? All right. And, and by this age, I think I was more interested in the game aisle because there was a particular game there that I wanted. Uh, there's a whole nother story to this that I won't share with you this morning, but I, my beloved game, Lego Star Wars, had broken at home and I needed a new copy. All right. It was very important. I had the memory card because it was PlayStation 2. I had the memory card still, so it was going to be all right. But I needed the new game. And I would ask my dad, Dad, can we get this game? And he said the dreaded words, no, we can't afford it. I was just, man, it's $30. I don't have $30. And if I had $30, I wouldn't have had the patience to hold it until now. You know, dad is saying we can't afford it. He probably doesn't have the money either. Okay. 
And so I, I assumed that he just didn't have it. I get it. Okay. And so I, I, we, we continue on our trip to Target, and uh, we go to the checkout line, and we kind of had a full cart of groceries. You ever pass somebody, and they've got like, the cart's totally full now. Like, they're not going to even make it into the 10 or less. Uh, they couldn't, it's not like they've got 20 and they might be able to trick people. No, they're, they've got a full cart. That was kind of us. And so I'm watching as the cashier rings all of this up, okay? And I'm looking at the little number, the little price that it shows, and it's going up and up and up, and I'm getting suspicious. And then finally, it hits that after everything's uh, rung up, all of the eggs and, and bread and Lunchables, it's all there, and it says $120. And I thought, you liar. <laughs> thought, we can too afford it if we'd put some of this food back, you know, like... <laughs> You see, I, I didn't understand as a child that dad was actually being quite responsible, not buying, you know, wasting $30 on a video game, which I cannot eat, right, uh, as, instead of actually feeding his children. So kudos to you, dad. Um, but I didn't understand that. And it, over time, I began to understand, right, as we all have to, that, that I've got to be wise with money, right? That's not how money works. That's not what he means when he says he can't afford it, right? He means he cannot responsibly afford it, okay? And so... Our faith works in that same way is that we begin to learn over time more and more about who God is. Sometimes we want to know everything all at once. And some apologetic conversations out there, you'll see people who are like, I need to know this and this and this before I'm willing to believe in God. I've got all of these parameters that God's got to meet in order for me to believe in him. And I apologetically, I can't, I could try. I can't answer all of those for you. You're starting in the wrong place. We start with a childlike faith. Right? Christ comes in and transforms our lives, and then we begin to walk with him and learn and understand some of these things. Right? We don't just uh, dive deep in all of these deep theological concepts and arguments and debates. It's not worth it. We have to start with that childlike faith, but that faith begins to grow over time. We grow in our knowledge of God. We learn how uh, more about him, how to better serve him. We learn how to discern his voice amongst other voices. And so those who walk in the light will come to know God better. Finally, though, those who walk in the light have conquered the evil one. And I love this one. It may be because that's the age group that, that he's kind of subtly hinting at. But I love this one, that those who have, who have walked in the light have conquered the evil one. And this is because Christ has conquered evil, right? It's not because of me, right? I didn't conquer evil. I screwed that up a long time ago, right? I... I, I disobeyed my parents. I'd throw fits in Target, and I'd get taken outside, and I wouldn't get to go back in. There was no game aisle, right? So it, it wasn't because of any victory I personally had. You see that? It's because of Christ's victory. Christ is the one who dies on the cross, rises again, and saves us from our sin, and we get to share in that victory because of him. So as I mentioned at the beginning of this morning, Dennis is in Yellowstone, and that's a... Uh, tradition of his. Okay, he goes there, uh, I think, basically every year um, be because of just the way vacation goes. He takes one in the summer, one in the fall, and he always goes to Yellowstone, and he always brings someone with him, right? And so I, I, I've seen on Facebook, this goes back, I think, at least 10 years. Susan out there somewhere can probably verify. Yeah. And so this is a, a long-standing tradition. In the spirit of tradition, I thought I'd tell you about one of my own, all right? And this is far less cool to most of you. Um, I think equally cool, though. Um, and it's actually a relatively young tradition. And I'm going to go ahead and drag Matthew down with me because Matthew and I share this. Matthew is our worship pastor, if you didn't notice that. Uh, we're actually good friends, and we decided a couple years ago that we're going to have a new tradition. It's that either every semester or every year, so once or twice a year then, we get together 
and we sit down and we watch the Lord of the Rings extended edition, all three movies, all right? Judge me as you will for that, but that's, we both love Lord of the Rings. We love J.R.R. Tolkien. I've got youth back there going, yeah, you know, so it helps me in my job, all right? Um, <laughs> it's, we both love it. We both read the books. We both watched the movies, and so we'll, we'll get together at like 8, we'll get up early for this, y'all. We'll get up at 8 a.m. on our day off, and we'll watch through it, Okay. And so we did this, in fact, just a few weeks ago, we typically invite a few others along with us. But Lord of the Rings is this great battle of good versus evil. It's why we love it. We love this whole good conquering evil thing. We, we see this small human-like creature named a hobbit who has to take this, this evil, powerful ring, and he's got to take it all the way to Mordor and toss it in a volcano. And once that's done, all the bad guys just blow up, right? Which is even better. We love explosions, right? Um, and, and so all the bad guys are just killed off, and, and that's it. Good conquers evil. We love this. And of course, during all of that, there's all of these different fights and wars going on. That's the reason my wife won't watch it. There's too much, too much fighting. Um, but at the very end of the last movie, and so for us, it's like 8 p.m. at night now, all right? And we're watching the, the final scene, the last movie. King Aragorn says, uh, this day does not belong to one man, but to all, right? He's saying this victory is, is not just ours, but it, it frees everyone, right? We had really one person responsible for, for the victory, right? The ring had to get in the volcano for any of us to have any hope of survival. And they pulled that off, and so everyone wins. Like I said, all the bad guys just blow up, right? That's, that's how it works. The whole tower just explodes, and it's awesome. It doesn't make sense, but it's awesome, right, Matthew? And, and so we see this kind of one person bring victory, but it's victory for everyone, right? That's, that's what we see in Christ. It was the song we were singing earlier, right? Death and Adam, right? One man brought sin into the world, and we all sin, but one man, one God, Christ, died for us, rose again, defeats evil forever, right? And so we see that, that Christ is the one who defeats sin, and he allows us to share in that victory. And so because of him, part of our identity as people who walk in light is to remember that because of Christ, We've conquered the evil one. We've done it. We have victory. We share in that. Now, I kind of sort of promised Jacob Banks that I would Greek out at least a little bit today, and so I'm going to do that now. Um, just, to, just to give you a little bit of interesting stuff about the text, it's not going to be boring. You're not going to glaze over. This is exciting stuff, okay? Uh, there's six major verbs here, right? You have been forgiven. You have come to know God. You have conquered the evil one, and we see those both uh, all of those twice, right? And all of those six verbs, it's that perfect tense in the Greek, all right? It's this perfect tense. Now, one commentator I looked at this week sums it up wonderfully simply what that perfect tense in the Greek means. It means a past fact with continuing consequences. It's something that happened, and it's going to continue to matter, all right? That's kind of what we're talking about. So let's take that understanding and apply it here. We see then that you have been forgiven. This has happened right? It's done. It won't be undone. We will never be unforgiven. You were forgiven. It's done. You're forgiven forever. You, you can think of, a, as parents, if you think of a situation, if you truly forgive your child for something, you, you try not to hold them accountable for it. You can apply it in a marriage, right? If, if you forgive each other for something, you have to forgive each other for it. We see in 1 Corinthians 13 that you can't hold things over each other for a long time afterwards, right? If you forgive somebody, it matters for the future, doesn't it? It's a past fact with continuing consequences. You have been forgiven, which means you will continue to be forgiven. And with Christ, we see this covering every 
sin, no matter what sin I, I do, no matter how many ways I endlessly screw up, Christ has forgiven me. If we go on to the next one, you have come to know the Father. That means we will not cease in our knowledge. We will only grow, right? We, can, we cannot truly meet the God of everything and, and just forget who he is. We do that all the time with ourselves where, you know, Scripture talks about going through James with the youth on Wednesday nights and Scripture mentions how we, we look in the mirror oftentimes then walk away and we forget who we are, right? But that's, that's not what we do with God. You can't meet God and just forget. You can try. You can ignore. You can run to, uh, to Tarshish or wherever Jonah tried to get out of Nineveh, right? But we can't ignore God. God meets us. We come to know who he is and there's no forgetting that. You can ignore it, you can rebel, you can reject him, but there's no forgetting that there's a God who encountered you, right? So you have come to know the Father, you continue to know the Father. And again, my favorite one, you have conquered the evil one. This means the victory is ours now and forever. It happened, right? 2,000 years ago on a cross, victory. That was then and it's now, right? Victory is here. We cannot lose because we did not lose because he did not lose. Our salvation is secure in Christ, when we walk in the light, nobody and nothing can remove us from that light. Nobody and nothing can remove us from that light. And so when we walk in the light, we need to remember who we are. We need to remember that we are forgiven of our sin, right? That's the first thing that happens. And as we grow, we come to know the Father better and better. And when we say the Father, we talk about the one who is from the beginning, right? We come to know who God is. We are in relationship with the God of the universe. And then finally, that God conquered evil for us. We screwed that up. That's on us. And God comes in and he rescues us. And that's forever. When we walk in the light, no one can remove us from that light. And so today, here in just a few minutes, you'll get an opportunity to respond uh, to this message as, as we always give. And I know I'm, I'm, I've been kind of fast this morning, but none of you are going to complain to me about that. I think there's a Cowboys game later. Um, so, so don't fret. But um, as we think about all of these things, dwell on that today. Take some time and read back through this passage. Maybe read back through 1 John and try to get this understanding of what he's talking about when he says we're walking in the light. Because to walk in that light, we do need to remember who we are. Who we are as Christians is very, very important, right? And as I was hinting at, at the very beginning this morning, with the culture wide at large, the key to us making it through that patiently is remembering who we are. Our identity can be found in Christ. But the truth is that everything I've preached this morning doesn't pertain to you in the slightest if you don't know Jesus, right? I mean, all of it. Think back through it. To walk in the light, we remember who we are, right? You have to be walking in the light. To walk in the light, we're forgiven, have to be walking in the light, right? To walk in the light, we come to know the Father. Have to be walking in the light. To walk in the light, you have conquered evil. And so if you don't walk in the light, there is no conquering of evil. There is no knowing who God is, and there is no forgiveness of sins. You must make the decision to walk in the light. And so as Matthew comes and sings this last song, you're going to get this opportunity to respond, and you have to decide definitively whether or not today you will walk in the light or you will walk in the darkness. That's always the choice before you, right? To walk in the light or to remain in the darkness. And we have this response every week. Um, but as I was dwelling about it this week and I was writing the sermon, it occurred to me that it's not really a promise. We say every week that we'll offer an invitation. Um, 
I can't promise you next week's invitation because, uh, and it's not just because I'm not Dennis and Dennis will be preaching, right? I know Dennis. Dennis will offer an invitation uh, if we get to Sunday, right? But the truth is that any given Sunday, the Lord could come back this afternoon, right? You, you know, we may fret about the Cowboy game, whether or not we make it there on time, but the Lord could come right after kickoff, and I'm not going to stick around to watch a Cowboy game, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm going to heaven. And so the invitation is here today, but it may not be later. The Lord may return at any moment, and we'll offer response until he comes, but each week when this invitation, like right now, is being offered to you, it very well could be your last. This could be the last time that you're ever offered this chance to respond. Always remember that. We're an invitation and a response. I, I tell the youth at times that it's, um, it's hard for us as people to uh, not get ourselves in that mindset that you know we have a tomorrow. Like It's hard to, to say, uh, we don't have a tomorrow because up until now, we always have. We've always had a tomorrow, but we may not. So respond. However, the Lord may be moving in you as you read the scripture, as you understand the truths here. However you need to respond, I, I want you to do that today. And so if you need to hear the gospel again, if you need to profess Christ as your Lord and make a decision for him, I'm going to be down here. One of our interns, uh, Corey, is going to be down here with me. And if you need to talk to either one of us, we'd love to talk to you and tell you more about Christ, about the one who conquers evil for us, about the one who forgives you of your sins, that you might know him, that you might have life in his name. If you have anything else you need to, to talk about, sometimes we just are convicted of sin and we need to just surrender that. that. This is going to be an appropriate time for that as well. You can do that where you're at. You can come up to the altar. You can pray with one of us. We're happy to do that. If you need prayer for anything, this is an opportunity for you. So however you need to respond, do that today. But if you would stand with me, I'm going to pray for us. And then you take this chance to respond. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and